It has been a week where much evil has been revealed, and you have read about much of it in the newspapers or seen much of it on your TVs. Uh, to give as brief a summary as I can, uh, this past Sunday, uh, a report was released that was commissioned last year by the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, investigating the handling of sexual abuse allegations among one of our convention's most powerful committees, our executive committees. Uh, to shorten the story as much as I can, many Southern Baptist messengers, these are the representatives of churches like us who meet and vote on motions in our convention, many of us were aware that abuse is not just a thing that's out there, it's in here too. And we were working to uncover it and fight against it and doing what we can, feeling very overwhelmed in that fight. And we started sensing, we started getting suspicious that perhaps this one committee in the convention had some people on it who were working against us in that way. Rather than trying to bring it into the light, we're trying to cover it up so that we wouldn't look bad. So suspicious of some of that conduct, we ordered at the last convention an investigation into their handling of these claims, and the report, 288 pages, that that firm found was released this Sunday. Uh, the good news is that it's brought into the light, and the Lord wants to see sin brought into the light. The bad news is that it is actually worse than we had feared it was. Among some difficult things to read and hear about, uh, there was indeed a small group of people in our executive committee who were working to cover up abuse claims for the sake of the convention's image and legal liability. Not only this, but at times it appears that they resorted to bullying and harassing victims to keep them quiet so that they would not share what had happened to them. Beyond that, one past convention president and one past convention vice president were revealed to be credibly accused with good evidence against them of participating in sexual abuse themselves, of abusing people themselves. Uh, and then beyond that, there were a few new details revealed about a seminary president who we had already fired over poor handling of sexual abuse. Uh, some details about that situation were revealed that showed that he had probably some more malice in his actions than perhaps we knew about before, or at least than I knew about before. What all this adds up to say is that when we think of a difficult thing like sexual abuse, it is not something that is just out there. It's not something that just happens in Hollywood or in corporate America or even the things you've read about that happened in the Catholic Church. We know now for certain it happens in Southern Baptist churches too, and that makes us all shudder together. Not only that, but it's revealed that people we trusted with great authority in our convention were in fact trying to hide it. And this is one of the more disgusting parts to me. They actually used our cooperative program giving as a rhetorical tool to keep victims quiet. They would say things like, all these faithful people are giving to missions through the cooperative program, and if you tell, him what, if you tell people what he did to you, these nice people won't give anymore, and think of what that would do to the gospel and to missions. This is the kind of rhetoric that they used on these victims to try to keep them quiet. As somebody who gives to the CP, that makes me angry, and I bet that makes you angry too, those of you that have given faithfully to it as well. We look at that and we say there's great evil that's been revealed, and it's, it's in the home court. It's in our convention. Then... 
That was not the only great evil revealed this week, can you believe? Then, on Tuesday, a young man took a, a gun and he shot his grandmother in the face and he drove with an assault rifle to a local elementary school in Texas, crashed through the barrier, and my understanding at least is that he did that so he could get inside, got inside, went into a fourth grade classroom with an assault rifle, and then massacred 19 elementary school children, their teacher, and one other adult. All of that, while we're still reeling from the shock of less than a week before that, uh, Buffalo's only black-owned grocery store was targeted for a shooting like this, where a racially motivated shooter killed 10 black Americans with an ideology that said, these people are replacing us and we need to stop it. So it's been a week where we have seen the darkness in the heart of man come to life. We have seen great wickedness exposed, revealed, and we have read about it. And I know that for my part and for many of you, some of us have been even physically sick over these things. All of that after years that have included a pandemic, uh, an imperialistic nation invading Ukraine to try to expand back to the borders of the old Russian empire, much division, political rhetoric, and even riots that have happened in our cities. It's been an ugly couple of years. This tension has been mounting, and now over the last few weeks, these stories, I think for a lot of us, have us asking, what on earth is going on, right? Can the world really be this dark and this ugly? And if it is, what, what does the Lord have to say about it? What I want to do this morning is deviate from our normal pattern, right? We'll take a break from our walk through Genesis we've been doing, and instead just simply answer some of the feelings all of this may rise up in your heart, whether you're angry over it like many of us are, whether you're in leadership and you're trying to figure out how on earth will I keep the people I lead safe, or whether perhaps you've been abused yourselves and it just takes up all these memories again and now you're suffering through all of that trauma in your heart again. Whatever you might be going through, there is scripture for it. And one thing I have found personally when things get difficult like this, the only way I can explain the world around me is, is to look into this book. I have never found another way of looking at the world that can make sense of all this stuff the way that the Bible can. So this morning, we're going to look into the Word and we say, God, what do you have to say about these things? And I pray to be a great comfort for your soul. I pray the Lord will move very powerfully in you and that we'll be better equipped to then go back out into this dark world and to be sources of light within it. So let's look first. We've got four words this morning and many scriptures that we will find them in. The very first one is this. When it comes to things like a, a young man... Uh, murdering many elementary school students, or shepherds preying on their sheep in the church, or a powerful committee covering it up. First thing we need to understand is very simple, and it is that that is a big deal to God. God really cares when those things happen. We're going to see that first in Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, uh, give us kind of one big proverb together. It's, it's an eight-liner there. And it starts saying there are six things the Lord hates, seven things that are an abomination to him. So how does God feel about these things? Two very strong words, right? Hates 
and abomination, like there's a word, right? We don't use that one very often. These things are an abomination to him. And that six, seven pattern, that's a poetic device that means he's gonna list seven things. The seventh one is the worst of them all. You'll see that pattern a lot in the Proverbs if you look there. Okay, what are they? The first of the seven things that the Lord just looks down from heaven and says, I hate that, are haughty eyes. That one might not click as soon as you see it. What are haughty eyes? That's a a very powerful person who disregards God's authority over them and disregards human life in the way that they exercise their power. So think Vladimir Putin saying, we're going to go back to the old Russian empire. I'm going to crush those people so that we can have our old border again. That would be haughty eyes. The Lord looks down from heaven and says, I despise it. Second, a lying tongue. Think, I didn't do that when really someone did. Lying tongue, Lord says, I hate it. Third, hands that shed innocent blood. Uh, Think, these people are replacing us, and so I'm going to go reduce their numbers so they don't replace us. Hands that shed innocent blood. Lord says, I hate that. A heart that devises wicked plans. So this is planning ahead of time to do wickedness. You can think, uh, the shooter in Texas, sending a Facebook message that says, I am going to shoot my grandma, and then he shoots his grandma. And then sending another Facebook message, I am going to shoot an elementary school, and then he shoots an elementary school. A heart that devises ahead of time wicked plans. The Lord looks down from heaven and says, I hate it. Even in the same case, the next one, feet that make haste to run to evil. You can think of this young man crashing his car through the barrier of the school, right? Making haste to run and do an evil thing. The Lord looks down and says, I hate it. The sixth, a false witness who breathes out lies. Think of a church about to call a pastor and they call one of his references and his reference knows better but says yeah he's an honest man he'll take care of your church you can trust him lord looks down from heaven and he says dishonest witness oh and then the seventh the worst of all the one who sows discord among brothers you can think there of the personalities on tv Uh, The Instagram influencers, the Twitter personalities who have made a career out of stirring up hatred and stoking anger, splitting our nation apart and splitting so many churches apart. It has become a professional career to sow discord, make people angry, and get followers on social media. The Lord looks down and he says, those that sow discord discord like this among brothers, he says, I hate it. Why does does he hate that one the most? Because it leads to the other six, right? That one brings the lying tongue. That one brings out the hands that shed innocent blood. And so the first thing we need to see, if you have seen these news stories, if you have been in it yourself and are saying, oh, it's disgusting, I've been there, the first thing we need to see is if you hate those things, the Lord hates them even more than you do. In all of your years, you will never hate school shootings more than the Lord hates school shootings. And you will never be as angry over sexual abuse as the Lord is angry over sexual abuse. 
What's more, you will never handle that anger as righteously as the Lord God handles that anger. He looks down, he says, I'm angry, and I will do justly about it. Now, that's a broad one, right? Lord hates this kind of stuff. Let's go specific, right? We're, we're Baptists here. This is our convention that this report just got released about. What does the Lord say particularly about those who have been given power and authority over others and then use that authority to abuse them? Think pastors abusing their churches. What does the Lord think about that? Ezekiel 4 makes it very clear, his feelings on that. You need to know before we read it that in the Old Testament and sometimes in the New, a shepherd is a, a symbol of a king or a powerful ruler, right? So it's not like buddy-buddy, like I'm petting my sheep in this idyllic farm. Like No, it's a ruler with a powerful staff, someone who's got power. Here's what the Lord has to say. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord your God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. And put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. So, so when shepherds of a congregation or a department in the office use the power they have to hurt those under them, the Lord sees it from heaven. He says, I know it, I remember it, and I'm going to come to rescue them. That means the first thing we need to do in, in response to all the things we've learned in the last few weeks is look up and marvel at the God who sees it all and who hates it all. As I said earlier, he, he, in all your years, you will never hate these things more than the Lord hates these things. And you never handle that more righteously than the Lord handles it. That's good news because the one in heaven looks down and he looks down on it rightly. Now, at times... The truth of God's justice and his judgment upon the wicked can be very hard to hear, right? Especially when things were really going well for our nation. We had a hard time hearing that one. Preachers, often we weren't well received when we preached about that. But it's a little bit easier to hear it now, isn't it? Now when we see how dark the heart of man can be, what else could a good and just God do? What else could a good and loving God do? 
but remember what is done against the weak ones. We see here also, just before we move on, uh, there is one warning here to those who are in leadership. So so fathers, husbands, moms, Department heads at work, bosses, pastors, if, you're, if you've got to put anybody under your care, you need to hear this. Every person who is in your care, the Lord placed them under your care. He's the one who says, I will put this one under the care of that one. Those people you lead, it's God that put them there. And that means that it is God who will hold you accountable to how you lead them. And so the warning is this, if you come in in the clothing of a shepherd, but you turn out to be a wolf, you will meet with the Lion of Judah, who says, behold, I am against that shepherd. Lead well, lead with justice. The Lord sees, he's watching. That leads us into the second word today, which is a little bit more about how to handle our feelings about it if we weren't part of it. There are probably a lot of emotions in your heart, right? Uh, I personally have gone through grief this week, anger, uh, a sense of despair, a zeal to want to do something about it right now, far beyond my wisdom to fix it, and all other emotions that have just kind of been rolled up into one. And others of you have told me that you felt pretty well the same thing. Some of you used the word sickened to talk about how you feel about some of these things. One of the things that can happen is all those emotions can roll together and it can just turn into kind of a panic, like a fretfulness. What are we going to do, right? And the Lord speaks right into that. Let's read the words of Psalm 37 this morning. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Let me skip to verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. So if there is in your heart, in your soul over this, a fretfulness, a panic, the Lord reaches his hand down to you and says, don't fret, I've got it. And why is that? He says, because the wicked are going to perish one day. So that feeling of they did this and that sense of lingering injustice that can get us so incensed, the Lord says, be comforted. Don't fret, I will handle it, I will take care of it. And we can trust him, knowing that he will. In fact, if we flip the page, I'm gonna do these out of order. If we go to 2 Timothy 4.14, which is on page 10. The Lord says that not just to those of us who are angry about what happened to somebody else, but some of you have suffered under the hands of cruel people, some of you could name someone who is an abuser and you know their name, the person who did you great harm. And the Lord speaks, I think, through 2 Timothy 4.14 with a name. Hear what he says there. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Some of you know the name of somebody and you're wondering what is going to happen. The Lord says, I know that person's name too. 
and I know exactly what they did. The police may not know what they did, right? Your pastor may not know what they did. The Lord says, I know what they did. And that person will receive an exact payment according to their deeds, no more and no less. Now, if your abuser is still alive, I hope that moves you to pray for them. God's offer of grace is still available to them if they will turn, if they will come back and repent and receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And if they do, that payment will rest on the shoulders of Jesus instead. But if they don't, they will receive exactly according as they did to you. Either way, there's not injustice. Either way, it gets paid for, whether by your Lord or by the abuser himself. So be comforted, victims, survivors. The Lord knows the name of the person who hurt you, and he will not forget it. Let's flip back to Psalm 73. This starts on page nine. Now that fretfulness I talked about a minute ago, uh, boy, it just comes up sometimes. You read about this stuff and, you know, just, sometimes you just want to panic. You just want to fret. We get a picture of that in Psalm 73. What is it like to just be burdened by it and say, oh, what am I going to do? Well, a lot of times we give complaints up to God, and it's right to deliver our complaints up to God. Here are the sort of complaints that could come out of our hearts when we are talking about people like school shooters and abusers and those who cover them up. We might think, we might say, for they have no pangs until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek, and they are not in trouble, as others often are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind, right? It feels sometimes like they're winning and like they're going to win. And therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff, they speak with malice, and loftily they threaten oppression. He just goes on and on with this imagery, right? It feels like the bad guys are winning. And then verse 16, I think, sums up how a lot of us feel about it sometimes. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me to be a wearisome task. Do you find it hard to reckon the world now, to add things up and say, how am I going to get all this to add up? Right? There's a loving God in heaven, and this is happening on earth, and just like the math is hard sometimes. It seems a wearisome task. And if you feel that way, the answer is in verse 17. It seemed to me to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Have you ever had a dream that seemed so real and then you woke up and it was just all gone? Right? Most of you had dreams last night that you don't remember right now. Right? One day you just wake up, oh, poof, it's gone. The Lord says that is what is going to happen to people like school shooters. One day, they're going to be gone like that dream that you had. Now, how do we arrive at that kind of an understanding? When he could not figure it out, when it was a wearisome task, he went into the sanctuary. He went into God's presence, and this is where he found comfort and solace and answers. Then the Lord began to give him insight. Then the Lord began to show him, yes, it looks like the bad guys are winning, but the bad guys are not going to win. So that's instructive for those of us who just can't add everything up. Like, I just 
can't make it work in my heart, right? One of the big words floating around the world is deconstruction right now. Some of us are picking it all apart, trying to deconstruct the whole thing, and it's a wearisome task to try to pull it all apart and add it back up together. And what's the answer to all of it? It's to come into the presence of God before you have your questions answered. Do you notice that he didn't have his questions answered and then go into the presence of God? He went into the presence of God and then the insight began to come. So, so what do you do if you're having trouble adding all these things up in the world? Don't put an ultimatum before God and say, if you can give me satisfying answers to why this is like this and why this is like this, I will come back to you. Don't do that. No. No. Come to him, the good one, the just one, the one whose arms are open to you. And let him, over time, in the fear of God, give you insight that begins to add the world up. Answers that will be completed when he returns. Now, come to him without the questions answered, and let him begin to answer the questions. Many, though, will choose instead to hang on to the bitterness. That's the the hard truth of it. Um, And one of the things I was looking forward to the least to saying this morning is, is is verses 21 and 22 actually describe what happens when you hang on to that bitterness. Uh, he says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Hanging on to that bitterness against God over all the injustices in the world, what does that lead to? It leads to a beast-like heart and beast-like behavior toward God. This is so hard for me to say, but, but I know many of these people who hold on to their anger against God believe they are being the most rational ones in the room. And having tried to reason with them myself, it's like reasoning with an angry bull moose. It just doesn't work. Why not? Because of that clinging to bitterness that has led there in the first place. So what does one do if one is saying, okay, I have clung to bitterness and I am like a beast toward God. I am so angry with him. I am snorting like a bull at him. What do you do? You come back to his presence without your questions answered. You let him minister to you. You let him love you and let the world begin to make sense again. So there's our second word. Don't fret and don't hang on to the bitterness. God will make this right. Third point's very different. It's to a very different group of people. Because one of the things that leaders are wrestling with right now, after having read the abuse allegation report, is that some of the people in it, some of the names in it, you can tell, okay, that person meant to do bad and they did bad, right? That's a bad person. And other times, it really looks like a well-meaning person who just didn't quite know what to do and didn't handle it right. And that can be very intimidating if you lead other people, right? What, what, what am I going to, what, what would I have done in that situation? I wouldn't know what to do. And so third word today speaks to that, and, and here it is. It takes great wisdom to lead justly. I might even change it. It takes God's wisdom to lead justly. We see this in, in two ways, first through a story and then through a proverb, both involving King Solomon. So the story of Solomon's rise to the throne works like this. Uh, his father David was, was dying and the kingdom was being handed to him. And his dad called him in and he said, okay, kingdom's going to you. Uh, here, here's some advice. Stick with the Lord, he says. And then David just goes through all these snakes who are in the court. This guy did this. 
make sure he dies. This guy did this, make sure he's not on the court. And it just goes through all these just serpents that are in the royal court and basically says, I'm handing this mess to you. Good luck stamping out all the snakes. Here you go. So great conversation, Dad. Thanks. All right. So then Solomon, understandably, is very intimidated, like, oh, okay, the greatest kingdom on earth has just been handed to me. The royal court is full of wicked people, and I can't really tell which are which. Dad told me some of them, but I bet there are some more. What am I going to do? All right. That night, the Lord appears to him in a dream, and he says, I'll give you any one thing. Ask me for any one thing, and I'll give it to you. And so, intimidated, nervous Solomon, who knows the big task before him, says, your people are so great, and I'm but a child, and they've been put on my shoulder. Just give me wisdom to lead them well. And the Lord just smiles and says, you have asked for my favorite thing to give, right? I love to, okay, great. And you know what? You can also have riches and long life and the hands of your enemies. Let me think of a few more things to give you, right? Just generously hands it out because he's so glad that Solomon asked for wisdom, right? So then, a few days later, sometime later, uh, he's got this great divine wisdom. He's more wise than anyone else who's ever ruled before. And two women come before him. And they each claim to be the mother of a baby. They're both saying, that's my son, all right? The other one's baby died, and that one's mine. And there's no way to tell these two women apart. So here he is in one of these, well, in this case, it's she said, she said situations, right? Like, what, what, how do I know who is telling the truth? What do I do? And he says, okay, uh, bring me the child and bring me a sword, And I'll just cut the child in half, and each of you can have half the child. This sounds like a good solution. And immediately, both mothers start reacting strongly. The first one, oh, yeah, that's that's the best thing to do. If I can't have him, she can't have him. Yet neither one of us gets him. And the other mom breaks down and says, no, 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 no. Give the child to her. It's better that he live than, than, than we sort this out right. And Solomon says, there's the mother. All right. Great divine wisdom sorts through the lies, and we figure it out, right? Then, the verse we have in the handout today happens. Here's what happens next. 1 Kings 3, 28, page 11. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. What did it take for him to handle a really tricky situation justly? It took the wisdom of God to do it. And many of us who lead others will be put in similar situations. How are we going to render a just judgment? How are we going to handle that justly? What's the answer? The wisdom of God is the answer. That is why... Solomon will later write about wisdom in Proverbs 8, 15 to 16. This is wisdom talking. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and all who govern justly. So the people in power who are doing it justly, who are making the right calls, the judges who are sifting through lies saying that one's telling the truth, that one's not. How are they doing that? They're doing that with God's wisdom that is given to. That's the only way that you can render a just judgment. Some of you have kids, and you know what it's like when they both claim that the other did the wrong thing. How do you figure that out, right? 
It takes the wisdom of God because you don't actually know who did it, but maybe you can find a way with God's wisdom. So those of you in leadership, what will you do when a tricky situation like this comes to you and you've got to protect your people? I want to tell you that you don't have the wisdom in your own heart to sort it out. It takes divine wisdom from God to render just decisions in those kinds of situations. So four ways you can seek wisdom, and I say these four a lot, I'll just list all four of them now. Uh, the scriptures say that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, so keep a worshipful disposition in your heart. Just keep your heart warm, your heart warm and reverent and worship toward God. That's the first step of wisdom. That's first. Second, God says he, he loves to give wisdom away generously if you ask. So ask, that's number two, ask him all the time. I pray for wisdom every day to lead you guys well. And those of you that pray for me every day, please pray for that every day. Ask God to give me wisdom, that's number two. Uh, number three, the Bible says, the Proverbs say, he who seeks me diligently finds me, that's wisdom talking. The one who searches the wisdom books diligently to find wisdom finds it. So search it diligently and find it. And then fourth, it says, in the abundance of counselors, plans succeed. Especially if you're leading, you need a lot of counsel. You need people's numbers in your phone that you can call about that, whatever it is. Part of being a good leader is being able to say, yeah, I've got somebody I can call about that. Hang on real fast, right? Having the right counselors that you can ask for wisdom from. Do those four things and look for the Lord to give you wisdom there. So that's our third word today. It takes great wisdom to lead justly. If you're in leadership, look to God for wisdom. Last one. This is the one I was looking forward to the most um, because in this last word, we get a picture of just how good Jesus Christ is. We got a few little glimpses so far. Oh, this one, it's glorious. And it's especially for those of you who have been hurt deeply and wounded deeply by cruel people in the past. So uh, fourth word today is this. Jesus endured abuse to rescue the abused. And I'm going to break that down in two parts uh, before we revel in it together. Do the second part first. Part of why he came was to rescue people who had been abused. Remember those wicked shepherds in Ezekiel 34? The Lord said, I'm against him, right? You didn't feed the sheep, right? You, you, you ate the fat ones instead. Remember them. That story goes on, and I saved the ending of it for this. Let's, let's look at, on page 11, Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. This is where it gets really good. What's he going to do when his people are under wicked leaders? For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in a good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself 
will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. One reason God put that there, if, if you have survived abuse yourself, and if your faith is in Jesus Christ, so that you can know part of God's heart. He longs to come and rescue you. Not just to rescue you from wicked leadership, but to lead you himself. He says, I will be their shepherd. Not only is it in his heart to do that, he's done it once. And our Lord sits on the throne of heaven right now, itching to come back and rescue you even now. The moment the Father says it's time, he is coming for you, and he will lead you himself. He did this once, and this imagery is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth once. Now, God has said here in Ezekiel 34, I will seek out my sheep who have been scattered, right? And Jesus comes, and he says the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He came to do exactly what God said he would do here. He says in verse 14 here, I'm going to feed them with good pasture. And we have record in the Gospels of Jesus going from town to town, preaching and healing, teaching them truth, healing their needs. And it says that he looked upon the people and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Season without a shepherd, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to feed you some truth. And this is going to do better for you than that wickedness that the Pharisees are feeding you right now. The Lord says in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you have ever suffered under wicked leadership, I want you to know the leader you've been waiting for has come. His name is Jesus. And he came with people like you on his heart to come and seek you and save you. And even more than that, not only did he come to rescue people like you, but he actually went through many of the same things that you have gone through in his work to come and save you. We can read in many places in the Gospels the abuse that he endured while he was here. I'll just give you a little in Mark 15 here. Watch for the way the government fails him and the way the religious elite abuse him in this paragraph. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate as, to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? That's Jesus. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests have delivered him up. So you see that? The governor realizes that the religious elite had delivered him up out of envy, not because he'd done wrong. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd and to have them release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, well, what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? So right now the governor recognizes he's not done anything wrong. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. 
So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. When you think about the experience that so many of these survivors have gone through, especially the ones who called our executive committee and got harassment from them instead of support from them, uh, here are a people who have been most of the time failed by the government. Uh, the, the police department just isn't equipped to handle these things as well as we wish they were. And so many times, well-meaning officers and detectives have to say, I'm sorry, ma'am, there just isn't any evidence, right? And so women just have to walk away all the time with it not proven. They just gotta live with that. So the, so the justice system hasn't served them justice. Then they call a group of really powerful religious people and they try to have something done about it or try to just get a hearing and they get in return harassment, even, even more abuse from, from them. And then they turn to the church and oftentimes the true church really doesn't stand up for them the way they should. So here, here are people who are, who are failed by the government and abused by really powerful religious people and then the true church doesn't really even rally around them a lot of times. And the beautiful glimmer here is that our Lord Jesus says, I know what all three of those are like. I know what it's like to hear the same government officials say, I find no guilt in him, and crucify him. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by the government. He says, I know what it's like for the highest group of religious leaders in Israel to conspire against me and abuse me. Christian, you have a Lord who knows just what that is like. And then, to have the true church, right, the disciples, just scatter and abandon him. Where were they as he was being crucified? One was denying him, another had betrayed him, the rest had run. And I think notably, it's, it's the women who stuck by him all the way to the very end. So I just want you to know, if you have been let down by the government, by powerful religious people, and even by the true church, you are looking in the eyes of the Lord, of Jesus Christ himself, who says, I know exactly what that is like. And I even endured it willingly to come and get you. Now, if he is that serious about rescuing the oppressed, and he says, I'm coming back for you. Church, you better believe he's coming back for you. Right? The shooter in Texas has already perished and is already facing justice. He will never hurt another soul again. And there will be more justice served. The people with their faith in Jesus Christ will never have to shed another tear as he comes down and wipes every last one away and says, I've put an end to all of it. That means then that whether you're one of the people like me that's angry about it or whether, like me, you're in, you're in leadership and you're trying to figure out what to do about it or uh, if, if you've been abused yourself and you're just hurting, the answer for all three is the same. Look to this glorious Jesus Christ. There's, right? there, there's one set of arms you can be safe in, and, and it's his, and he's coming back for you. So his open-handed offer to all, to abused abuser and everybody else is, if you will come back to me, I have in my hands, he says, forgiveness for all of your sins, because that's an issue too. Right? I have justice in my hand for all who, has been, who have acted against you. 
and I have safety when I return. And so what can we do but look to him? So, so my urging to you, every soul in this room, look to that Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's pray together.